2: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Padraig Reedy. This week, Henry MacDonald on his new book, Two Souls. McDonald, welcome to Little Adams, where we talk about uh, Two Souls, which is your uh, your second novel, um, your, your first based in Belfast and the Belfast that you grew up in.
3: This one is based in Belfast. This is about, um, it's based in the area I grew up in, the market area of central Belfast. It's a lot to do with the city centre, the punk haunts of the 70s, like the pound and the harp, uh, mm-hmm. even a subway where we all drank and mm-hmm. sang and played music and graffiti the walls, and also a football stadium so it's divided into three sections okay and sometimes there's a a summer of love in 1978 uh, where the main character Robbie Ruin who's the narrator he's actually reflecting back on it it's written in the the past tense with an older arty bohemian girl sounds like a line from a micro Disney song (laughs) you know Uh, and then it flashes forward in beats of three to April 1979 specifically the weekend of the Irish Cup final Mm. Uh, the young punk is now morphing into a soccer hooligan mm-hmm. and it's Cliftonville versus Portadown Cliftonville now mainly supported by working class Catholics in Belfast and the Portadown having lots of loyalist support <laughs> so <laughs> combustible you can imagine uh, and then it flashes forward again to 1987 and these very clipped oddly written led on the line smuggled communications from Belfast Crumlin Road Jail mm-hmm. And they are they're, they're the prelude to a factional feud yep. which will suck in the three main characters of the mm. book, especially the main character and the, the narrator. Mm. And there's, there's almost like an, 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 an Iago tone to the, the guy writing the letters to the other character on the outside, mm. you know, whispering in his ear, playing whispering games, sinister allusions to get him to kill Someone else, yeah, or, or at least to order the assassination of someone else,
2: yeah. And it builds to that quite shocking crescendo quite quite, quite quickly, yes, yes. Yes. So tell us about your your you say it's a semi you know, quasi quasi I guess autobiographical book. Tell us about the, the main character.
3: The main character is called Robbie McManus or Robbie Rooney, mm-hmm. punk name because punks have all these weird names uh, <laughs> nicknames in Belfast, and anywhere ubiquitous. But uh, he is the character that I think I could have become. Mm-hmm. Had I taken the wrong road? Yeah, he's the character that some of my friends became by taking the wrong road. You're, you're presented with a choice, and you're at a juncture in your life, and really, it's a, you're moving from kind of testosterone, youth, violence mm. into paramilitary violence, and there was an easy—you could see that easy bridge, that easy journey through that to that dark side. Yeah. So that's what he becomes.
2: Yeah. will talk a little bit about the the <laughs> book. As you say, starts in 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 the in the punk scene in, in Belfast. Now, punk was punk meant something specific and different, I think, in in Belfast and to a lesser extent in Derry than it did to to the rest of the UK. Can you talk about that a bit? Joe Strummer,
3: yeah, famously of the Clash, once said, uh, "New York had the bonds, London had the clothes, but Belfast had the reason." Hmm. And what he meant by that was that specifically. Punk emerged after w- the wilderness years of the early 70s. Music bands didn't come. The hippie dream was dead. You know, glam rock was a joke. And then you had this movement. And in Belfast, it spontaneously, organically brought together Catholic and Protestant youth. Mm. Right. Mall sides. Very, very quickly, and everybody got to know each other. And the, and it, there was a kind of a unspoken anti-sectarian code. It wasn't party political. It wasn't programmatic. It just happened. Mm -hmm. And that was what was unique about it. And in many ways, this book is called Two Souls because it's a quote from Goethe about two souls reside in my breast and each will fight for the mastery there. In the character of Robbie Ruin, there are two souls residing in his breast. Mm -hmm. One is the progressive, punk, anti-sectarian side of things, also coupled with his father's socialism, old-fashioned socialism. And then there's the other side, the, 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 the the magnetic pull towards getting involved in sectarian based kind of soccer violence Mm -hmm. and then ultimately evolving into Republican paramilitary violent activity. Mm -hmm. So they they were turning at him and and what I suppose disturbed his inner being is the third element of the book the 1978 is the end of the romantic dream his first love. Yeah, And he he turns to bitterness. A lot of young men do that you know when they get crushed in an early love or a relationship breaks down they fall in the bad company. They, you know, they, they can hit the drink, they can hit the drugs. I think lots of my friends went through that, or they get involved in bad company. Yeah, and Robbie does. Yeah, and the bad company leads him to a kind of a, a, a violent, vacuous future.
2: Hmm. I think that there's a lot of things that that represent that the escape from <coughs> the, the maybe inevitability, um, and some of them, you know, coming from very different places. There's. I think we'll talk about Berlin's role in a little bit, but um, first of all, there there is the girl he does fall in love with, the slightly older art school girl he does fall in love with, um, called Sabine, who's who is a very different person to to what he's used to.
3: She is like someone from another planet. In many ways, I mean, the the, the chapters with Sabine the seventy-eight love affair in the Holy Lands in Belfast, mm-hmm. which was kind of a shabby rundown, but very bohemian arty university type area it's still it isn't so much now but it was then you know mm. you had lecturers and teachers and unionists and socialists living in that area because it was, it was one of the few areas that was mixed religiously you know yeah and um, on top of, she was as exotic as the soundtrack of their love the soundtrack of their love is the first Bowie album Low in his Berlin mm. period right my, my opinion is best work right and they listen to Low constantly she, she gets him into it yeah. And in many ways something to be but like Bowie she's not of this world completely, you know? <laughs> And uh he's he's as exotic as Bowie is. Mm. In drab grey, you know, War torn Belfast. Yeah. You know. She's this figure from another place. Mm-hmm. Life is elsewhere.
2: Mm. And, and then, the Bo- um, the, so Lowe is you know, a personal favourite of yours. Not 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 what one take of as a punk record. It is not, yeah.
3: not not by any means, but I, I had a kind of mixed kind of Musical evolution. I mean, my older cousins. Were, one of the one of them was in the boy a lot and played it on a Saturday, mm. Sunday morning before we went to mass. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine that you're listening to David boy talking about Iggy Pop back in his house in, uh, in Berlin, and then you're around you know, uh, the Gospel according to Mark, and mm. and, and getting the com- getting your Holy Communion. Uh, but so also, I I've always liked electronic based orchestral kind of. I love the German electronic scene, De Noa and people like that, and craftwork, and, mm. and you know. So, and the post-punk bands like Cabaret Voltaire and that as well, and Certain Ratio and all that. So, yeah, I, w- I wasn't one of these one, two, three, four, five, yep. three-chord fundamentalists, as I call them. You know, mm. but it's not just the exoticism of Bowie and and Sabine. The music is also very mournful, and although some of it's upbeat, the the soundtrack. I think I hope I hope readers will decide this reflects what's going on in, in Robbie's brain mm. and the pictures he's playing. You know, and it is a very mournful. You know, think of Warsaw, Warsaw, and 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 Subterraneans in particular. And Subterraneans, of course, is the last track in the book. Mm. <laughs> the last track. Yeah. The, it's the soundtrack of the last chapter.
2: Mm. So just just <laughs> following that, the Berlin albums obviously being you know a very important to, But there's Berlin pops up in the books in a few different ways. Is through um through Bowie obviously, um turns up later in the book that, you know, someone's gonna live there. But it also turns up as a kind of subconsciously about, but alluded to in the in the character of the father, who is you know, thinking of things on the other side of, Ber- <laughs> <on> the, side <laughs> of the Berlin Wall. In a yeah. you know, in a position I think that in a lot of ways is probably he's already cast even in the in in the late seventies as you know, being you know, just being an nostalgist and there's nothing there's nothing more to you know, to his mm-hmm. politics of being you know, a died in the wool communist. Actually.
3: He, the fathers had died in the wool communist, but even by then mm-hmm. the communists have been left behind. I mean yeah. the the war, the troubles, the conflict, call it whatever the hell you want, mm-hmm. has not rendered that section of the left. There was a strong communist element in the trade union movement in Belfast. Yeah. I mean, for its size, it was over influential, but it still yep. was influential. But even like things like the old Northern Ireland Labour Party, which was much more social democratic mainstream party, yep. they're obliterated by the troubles, you know. Yep. And a lot of Protestant working class socialists are, are, are either alienated or terrified mm-hmm. out of public life, you know, and, and rendered irrelevant. And it's the irrelevancy of Robbie's dad that I was trying to get across. Yep. He, he, he's a, he, at heart, he's a decent man. But he's irrelevant in two ways. A, by the troubles on his own doorstep. You know, the workers aren't going to unite. Yep. Right? They're too busy shooting each other. Right, And also the new Cold War's coming. And even then in 79, it's becoming obvious that the Soviet project is on its way out. Mm-hmm. I think looking back and, mm-hmm. you know, and you're playing with the novel here, you're playing with history and time. Yeah. So I think, uh, I did mention things like Atollamia, the Iranian Revolution... Yeah, you know, people are turning to the they're not turning towards the left. They're going, they're, they're regressing in time. you yeah. know in parts of the world, you know, mm-hmm. and and also he's hopelessly out of touch with what's really going on behind the Berlin Wall. You know, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I hope, but I hope I, I'm still t- sympathetic. Portrait of a sim- sympathetic man. He's, he's a he is. I he's, he's,
2: he's. I think that that, that fascinating <coughs> picture of someone yeah. who you know. Genuinely, And it, it's a, it's something that, you know, we kind of don't think, I suppose it recurs a small bit now when we think about people getting their news from Russia Today or Press TV or something. someone, someone mm. who's uh, fully bought into yeah. listening to Radio Moscow and getting mm. reports from, you know, Angola, the, Angola and, Vietnam, and Cuba and yes. so on. It's just, it, it's, mm. it's an entire life yes. for him. You describe how his entire day is soundtracked. Yeah. You know, from from waking up to orchestral pieces in the morning to the news in the evening, it's all there and laid out an entire world view laid out view, which which I guess says nothing about none of it at any point says anything about Belfast.
3: No, it doesn't. That's right because he he's, he thinks he's part of a bigger thing, yeah, a bigger, more powerful thing. Right? Mm-hmm. But in fact, he's not. Yeah, but I still wanted I still wanted his common decency to shine out, you know, mm-hmm. to shine through. So yes, I mean, I, I am harsh on, on him, but I am yeah. also sympathetic
2: yeah and he regularly advises his son to just get the hell out
3: Oh, uh, he's not telling his son to join the revolution he's telling his son to get the fuck out (laughs) to get out of Northern Ireland to get out of Belfast build a life even if it is in you know capitalist Babylon like London or somewhere you know he just wants him out Mm. because he knows he looks at the boys around him who are all joining up on, on the various armies and factions and alphabet soup groups and they're all ending up either in prison or they're dead you know within a matter of years and of course all that happened more or less And I saw it happening. You know.
1: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Poetry Reedy and I'm talking to Henry McDonald about his new novel, Two Souls. Um, so Henry mentioned the first of the, the, the kind of descent, I guess, uh, from the the, the almost the quite optimistic summer of romance in, in 1978 at the beginning of the book, where your your main character Robbie, you know, falls in love, you know, goes to gigs, you know, everything's you know everything you want when you're what 16, 17, it's, it's perfect. But he this next stage of the book is 1979, is the Irish Cup final, and there he joins his cousin Rex, who is um, born in Belfast but raised, you know. In Brighton has come back with an English accent, with some very English attitudes in some ways to things like what you wear and what how you act on the terraces and so on. And his um, friend, for one, a better <laughs> phrase, Padre Pio, some, you know th- one of these friends, you know, I think we all had who you can't quite shake off. Yeah. Um, and the slightly older Trout, who is you know from a hardline, hardline mm. Republican family, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And over the course of, of that of that Cup final, we see how things shift for Robbie between personal issues with his cousin personal relationships with Padre Pia but also how the sectarianism becomes more a more and more important part of his identity yeah. over the course of one afternoon it's very it's very beautifully put together
3: yeah I mean there's a wee bit of it before there's a precursor you know the, yeah. the start of the season and that you know and there's the scene in the bus where they're attacked in Loyalist East Belfast yeah. which, is, which actually did happen to me I was on that bus mm-hmm. and a character based on partly based on Ray Pio, did do that. He did wave, wave the scarf at a, at a gang of loyalists out drinking outside a pub and we were and they nearly got us off the bus. If they got us off the bus we'd have been murdered. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that. And uh, a very famous guy in Pelfast called Frankie Kim Quinn, a photographer, award winning photographer, was on the bus. He got knocked out. We had to take him to Dundonald Area Hospital. Actually, we just dumped him, <laughs> we <laughs> dumped him in the and he went to the match and they were <laughs> and he still he still speaks to me you know <laughs> we sit, we actually sit together at Clevelandville matches mm. now the gnar lul veterans of the game <laughs> but uh, of the team uh, and, and the club but um, yeah I mean I, you're right it's a good word that bridge I mean the kind of building violence of the cup final and the anticipation of it
0: mm-hmm.
3: and the aftermath uh, and the kind of it's like a force or a momentum that he's Robbie is carried along in yeah He's put himself in this kind of sinister slipstream, yeah, and he knows where it's going. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the chapter when I opened up, but we 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 are in a trance. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are a moving, menacing organism. Those those lines landing from from the opening yeah. one of the early chapters of the cup final section. Um, I wanted to get that idea of this kind of uh, almost like a kind of a an army, like a phalanx,
0: yeah,
3: going marching together. Yeah, you know. Which was all the rage in the seventies. I mean, hooligans were like the ragged armies, yeah. you know, and that's what this was about. And and it, it does then make them militant. Mm. Game, yeah. The Belfast were you have to be game, yeah, right. And they prove themselves, mm. and of course, trout's the talent spotter. Mm-hmm. But the next group of soldiers he has to recruit.
2: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about trout, about where he's where he's coming from
3: well Trout's brother is in jail for trying to kill a policeman He's Trout's, Trout's a member of a kind of republican offshoot faction mm-hmm. modelled on the Irish National Liberation Army Yeah, uh, a very extreme group that was prone to internal feuds everything every political differences is settled by the barrel of a gun and resulting in ultra left groups in Britain argue by waving papers at each other outside like tube <laughs> stations right <laughs> Yeah. the ultra left republicans did it with lead bullets yeah. you know right so um, he is always influential. He's always speaking. I've got almost. He's almost speaking as if he's making a speech. <laughs> hmm. You know, <clears throat> ask yourself this. He keeps saying, "Ask yourself this" all the time. Yeah. He's setting these scenarios up, and, and you know, his language is persuasive, and Trout is trying to entice them into uh, the organization. Yeah. And other things in, in the in, in the longer run too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he's. He's a pretty fanatical character. He's the ideologue. Yeah. The, the others join up for different reasons.
2: Exactly. So either side of... He's the ideologue. Of, ...of Robbie, you've got you've got this ideologue stroke demagogue. Yes. And you've got the other thing which is crucial to any paramilitary <laughs> organisation which is the psychopath.
3: Yes. Yes. And um, Padre Pio is a psycho. You know, mm. He's a psycho. But the ultimate proof to be game. Yeah. He can riot against the, the prods. Yeah. He can... Pretend to be a Linfield supporter and infiltrate their support, which is what he did. Yeah, he? No, he actually did that in real life, <laughs> right? But the ultimate game is, is to pull the trigger. Yeah, and to join up and be willing to take life, mm-hmm. and he's willing to do it. You know, and that's Robbie's in the middle somewhere. Robbie has been propelled forward by personal bitterness and letdown. Yeah, and he's he's found comfort in the solidarity of male mm-hmm. bonding, but the bonding is laced with undertones of violence
2: yeah i think that that's probably i think we talk about an awful lot these days when we talk about young Mm. men and and probably quite rightly talk about young men is Mm. personal bitterness personal anger Mm. at real and perceived problems in the world i think often when people you know people in the particularly in the the left in 1890 britain britain looked at belfast and looked Mm. at what was happening Mm. and the ir and yeah certainly the the, the Republican movements are very good at this. We're very good at talking about this as a as a very noble political struggle, carried out by the high minded, educated people mm-hmm. um, with a greater aim. But every one of these movements doesn't need you, know, which one needs people with personal grievances, personal bitternesses, mm-hmm. and anger's anger driving them.
3: Absolutely, and and Padre Pio, even though he is downright bloody evil,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Yeah,
3: um, he has a backstory, yeah, which I reveal. I hope. Mm. subtly and layer by layer and there's a reason why he's, o- he's, off, the- he's off the rails right and it's yeah. not to do with politics it's personal mm. right very very personal right and that I've seen that you know I have seen the guys yes the grammar school of boys yep. educated who join up for ideological reasons but I've also seen boys who join up because they want to be game yeah. they want to be gamesters they want to be in being known as being in the army being big raw men or U- yeah, UDA men Mm-hmm. And they want to be respected, and they want to get their rage out, right? Mm. Want to get their rage out on, on the world, and that's what Padre Pio is. Mm. He's the latter.
2: I think it's worth briefly talking about the. You, you, you touched on the I.N.L.A. and they're, you know, they're clearly the model for the organisation in this. In this book, the the, the model for the about for the language and the, the violence and the, and obviously you you've literally written the book on the I.N.L.A. <laughs> As but now we're not we don't really think about them very much, but they were this as you say, s- incredibly violent group, which had come from originally, hmm. you know, I'll let you describe describe the origin story of well, the NLA, so to speak. the yeah. NLA
3: was, was an offshoot of the official IRA. So the official IRA becomes Marxist after the mm-hmm. split with the provost. And very early on in the Troubles, by 72, they rea- their leadership realised this is going nowhere, this is going to end in civil war. We've got to end this now. Yep. And try to negotiate with the Protestants basically in the north-east of Ireland to have some sort of settlement, otherwise this, this the whole island's gonna go on fire and you know. So you know, I think I think we're basically right when they said that, I think their analysis yeah. was correct. But there was a wing on a more ultra left stroke nationalist grouping around a guy called Seamus Costello, who broke away. He didn't agree with the ceasefire. Now they became allied with um ultra left elements, far left elements, whether it was people, people's democracy for a while the provosts were helping them, and they broke away to form a new army called the Irish National Liberation Army. Mm. So, And they became, uh, as uh, terrorist groups go, they became quite um, efficient. So the, the, their, ap- their apogee is the killing of Erie Neve, yep. Margaret Thatcher's advisor, and they, an escapee from Colditz <laughs> during the Second World War. They kill him in the House of Commons mm-hmm. in 1979. They're catapulted into international fame. Trouble is, from their viewpoint, they were a kind of weird mixture of... They were a bit like the of Red Army Faction in, in Ger- West Germany, because yep. they, they adopted all the kind of... the lingo of the terrorist New Left that yes. emerged from sixty eight, uh, fighting imperialism on the streets, not just in the paddy fields of Vietnam or, mm-hmm. or the, the deserts of the Middle East or whatever, you know. More, you know, I suppose they were more Trotskyist than Maoist. Yeah. Extreme Trotskyist. And a lot of Trotskyist groups in Britain... Aligned themselves with the IRA, they, they they were the new messiahs, you know, <laughs> the new delivers of revolution, you know. Mm. But they also had their cadres, their their membership was primarily working class, and it, its two front spearhead groups were Belfast and Derry. Mm. But Belfast was always the most important place to wage war, you know. Yeah, and they were, you know, so you had that fusion of a couple of intellectuals and you know, pseudo-intellectuals and old Republicans as well that didn't agree with the officials and wanted to break away but still were leftist in their mentalities couldn't join the provost, right? And they, this group, had an instability. Just the way that ultra-left groups in Britain have a kind of a replicating instability and and, and, and tendency to schism and divide. This organisation divided. And, I mean, their first feud was like, uh, they had a feud with the officials in 75, right? Yeah. But they had a feud with themselves and the first one was about 1980. 81 mm. and they, they they kind of were born out of a feud and they would die in a feud mm-hmm. you know uh, because factionalism was in the DNA right does that make yeah. sense and I and, that, and I and I wanted that in this book as well yeah Fratricide
0: yeah
3: it's another theme yeah in the book and it's one of the tragedies of Ireland you know modern Ireland in the 20th century and well not, not so much the 21st but we still get a bit of it but yeah. who knows who knows
2: Right but say it's it's very hard to to describe how the the, the progression down of the story without giving away too much at the very yeah, end yeah, but but we do end not. up in you know a horrendous inevitability of of the path that has been taken yeah. by a lot of these people um i hope to yeah. but i want to say something no, that in the betrayal of the characters at, towards the
3: end when they they come out of the wash yeah. right? and you know we're in the ceasefire period mm. the peace process I do want to say I mean I I hope I portrayed them as some of them anyway as damaged goods I mean a lot of them are damaged individuals and in yes. real life I know a lot of them and uh, there's a lot of um, psychological soul searching <clears> personal <throat> loss yeah. regret you know and I saw I saw an astonishing piece of film uh, on BBC Spotlight Northern Ireland yes recently were an ex-IRA bomber who I know mm-hmm. uh, he breaks down on camera and says what was it all for and he cries yeah and I think I think that was genuine.
0: Mm.
3: You because know, I know the guy. Absolutely. And I th- I think that image alone for me sums it all up. Yeah. Futility. And that's another thing.
2: And I think that's um something that someone asked me this morning when I said we were doing for you how would I describe the book and, and I thought and I said not a thriller and I guess it's 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 more sort of a tragedy. Yeah, fundamentally, it's not a thriller. No, yeah. no, no. no.
3: It's, but it, uh, I, I think that's fair enough mm. oh, it does have some a lot of humour in it. I hope. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. But some people well, mm. Robert McLean Wilson, the Paris-based Belfast writer, he he said it was scabrously funny. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm.
2: I don't know, I'll just ask quickly again because this is this is the the second of your books that um of your novels that heavily references Berlin, mm. and we'll just leave that. But why why is Berlin important to
3: you? I used to live there. I was in East Berlin in nineteen eighty one. I was in West Berlin in, in eighty five. I was in a squat, a punk squat. I had friends there, long term friends. I still go there, mm-hmm. and I think in the context of seventy eight and right through to seventy nine, it's it's a life as elsewhere kind of fantasy accolade place. You know, especially West Berlin. Yeah. You know, it's at the edge of something. It's got it's the kind of quality you're probably seeing in Hong Kong now. But although that's getting spiraling out of control, but it's it's it, it's in a kind of a strange zone, mm.
0: and.
3: I, well, a lot of punks were actually attracted to go there too. It was a big squatter movement, and the, a lot of anarchists and punks I knew went there and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's it's the it's an it's an it's a kind of a exotic attraction. But it's also weaving like Belfast. Mm-hmm. It has it had a wall through. It. We, we, we've got 59 walls now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Most of <I'm> the <built> <laughs> a peace process, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, I think there, there, there was always a connection for me mm-hmm. with the wall and our walls and barriers and zones. Yeah. That. Soviet zone, French zone. I remember as a kid, you know, looking at maps of newspapers like the Observer and the Sunday Times, where well, they would they would zone out Belfast and the orange and green patches. And and then when you got older, you were passing by those areas. There was a lot of frisson of danger, even walking to school, mm-hmm. right? uh, that kind of thing. So maybe that's why the Berlin thing put the hook in me. But it's 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 a kind of strange, even though it was a, cit- a citadel and it was it was entrapped in an island of the, the German Democratic Republic. It was still. Somewhere that uh, both Robbie and Sabine saw as a place of escape.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? So Henry, would you like to read an extract for us?
3: The Crowd, the 28th of April 1979. We are not walking, we are surging all the way down the Donegal Road. We are a throbbing mass of primary colours, all red, yellow and blue. We are a moving menacing organism through which courses currents of fear and expectation. We are a jagged forward marching phalanx of uniforms. From army surplus, denim skinners, snorkels, duffels, plastic, wool, leather, studs and spikes. We slide, stumble and trip over half bottles of scotch. Scrunched up beer tins, broken glass and even splashes of carrot flecked book. We spearhead onwards to the swing gate of battleship grey and bottle green to where the barriers of peelers and Brits will eventually part open ushering us across the motorway and into the empty brick studded fields behind Windsor Park we are in a trance I'm still on our side of the M1 and trout is crushed up against my shoulder we're hemmed in by a line of heavier older men in their 20s all of whom he seems to know they swell and bulge out of wrangler jackets and blue parkas and sport beards they shouldn't have bothered sprouting until well into middle age. They are comrading this and macaring that to each other en route, talking in the Belfast code called Braille about jobs, gear, napperings, smoky joes and up the up and unders. The last one provokes trout the crowd, Uri's here, Uri's there, Uri's every fucking word. na 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 na. The British patrolling close to the run, run-down redundant football stadium glare at us when they hear this particular chant. And one of them, from the back of a jeep, sweeps his SLR rifle with a black rubber gun sight across our line, as if he's going to take us out, as if we really think he's going to open fire. Who's that line on the dashboard? Who's that spattered on the wheel? Trout howls as two-fingered salutes are offered to the Brit patrol. He then pokes me in the shoulder and points up to the side of the decaying old touchline stand with the letters Celtic Park still painted over the giant green background. Look at that crowd son, and ask yourself why. This is what this is about today Robbie Ruin. They literally kicked and booted Belfast Celtic out of the league all them years ago to put the uppity tag team in their place which was off the pitch and out of the league for good. They made sure that that place over there was only good enough to run greyhounds around the track beyond the grass. But now we're back, and we're on our way to Windsor to fuck them all over, Trout says.
2: I've been talking to Henry MacDonald about Two Souls, which is out now from Merian Press. This episode of Little Atoms was presented by me, Portra Greedy, and edited by Sky Redman. Little Atoms is supported by 89 up and hosted by ACAST. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. And remember to check out littleatoms.com for a full archive. Thank you for listening.